This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Beth Pinsker, financial planning columnist at Market Watch, and I'm here today with Jamila Soufran, author of the new book, Your Journey to Financial Freedom. The book grew out of Jamila's popular podcast, Journey to Launch, where she interviews people who have made the leap from nine to five to being their own boss or straight out retiring. Welcome, Jamila. Thank you, Beth, so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, Let's talk first about how it feels to share so much of your journey to financial freedom. With your podcast and now your book, you've become like an inspiration to a lot of people as you detail like really in the weeds about how you did it. Your your story basically starts with you hating your job, um, which seems to be pretty much the American situation at the moment, or maybe it always was. Um, So I wanted to talk to you about like, why do you think people hate their jobs so much? You know, I think for a lot of people, we selected careers, not necessarily based on what we loved, but what would pay the bills if we were lucky. So there are some people who did choose what they did based on love and realized that maybe it's not paying enough to provide a lifestyle that they want. In my instance, you know, I didn't really have a set out career that I wanted to follow, but I knew I wanted to make money. And with that, I think for a lot of people, we are forced in a way to pick careers and have to stick with it for the rest of our lives at young ages, right? Like a 19-year-old or 18-year-old is supposed to figure out, you know, how much, what they're going to major in and what they're going to spend the rest of their life doing. And I just find that we are continually or continuously discovering ourselves and our circumstances changes. So our mind changes about things and we might oftentimes find ourselves in jobs that we either outgrew or we never loved in the first place because maybe we were following expectations of parents or society. And I just think a lot of people now are coming to this realization that life is short and they want to enjoy themselves, but they also want and need money to do that. So I think there is a friction with needing to make money and being stable versus figuring out and finding what one truly loves to do. You chalk up a lot of your unhappiness at work in your book to your commute, um, which I don't know a person in the world who likes their commute. Um, I particularly hate mine on the F train. Um, But what was it about, there has to be more to it than that because you could have just gotten a job closer to home. You know, yeah. And done something different, but you made this like enormous leap be- because of that motivation. Like, what else was it about your job that that made you want to get out of it? I so you know I started working at my company in as an intern, so in college, and then in my twenties and thirties, and so I dealt with the commute, commuting from Brooklyn to New Jersey. When I had less responsibilities, you know, I, I it, there wasn't so much of a time crunch or or people pulling at my time as when I started to have children. And so it wasn't just the commute, though, that made me want to leave. I think I've always had aspirations growing up of having freedom. You know, I always felt kind of like the weird or interesting kid <laughs> that had a, a lot of imagination and didn't like to sit still. 
And so even when I did start working in my early 20s, I thought to myself, I don't want to be confined to this cubicle or this office and someone telling me what to do. And it was really, though, in my 30s when I still had those feelings. And now I've been working in corporate America despite making a great salary. And now with this even longer commute because of traffic patterns and I moved deeper into Brooklyn, I just said to myself, this is not the... It's not the life I want to live, especially because I wanted to expand my family. I just knew that I wanted more out of life. And so the commute and then the idea that I didn't have any control over my time, you know, I was waking up pretty early to embark on this commute then spending all day at this cubicle or in this job doing something I didn't feel passion about, then came home really late at night. And I just knew for myself that I didn't want to continue this cycle indefinitely. That makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people feel that way. I think a lot of people also share like your entrepreneurial spirit, like, and they're born with it, you know, just like you say you are. Um, do you find that a lot of the guests that you have on your podcast, just were going to end up entrepreneurs one way or the other, and they just had to find their way to it, some shorter paths than others, but they all end up that way, right? Because you have to. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing, you know, I've interviewed people who, you know, most of them as they're embarking on their financial independence journey. So this idea that you are working towards never having to work again, that they do start out typically with the typical career in a nine to five, and they're leveraging that salary to invest and save their way to financial independence. And so yes, a lot of them end up quitting. And that's what I love about the journey to financial independence and freedom, because the requirements that it it, it it makes you do, right? The things you need to change and learn does change you into a new person. And so pathways into entrepreneurship or things you didn't realize that you could actually do become viable for you because you are building a skill set. You're learning something. You're learning how to leverage maybe your skills at your job to do something on your own to make money. But I will say that there are still some people that are still in the pursuit of financial freedom and independence and are still working or plan to work because they realize that entrepreneurship isn't for them. Or they've tried entrepreneurship full time and realized that, you know what, I do like the security of a job. And so ultimately, I say that the message or the goal while I am talking about being able to have work be optional is that it is optional if you get to financial independence, but it doesn't mean you have to quit if you don't want think most people want the option and want that freedom to make that choice and so many of us don't and that's where we feel really stuck because we know that we're we're, we're really stuck in this job because of our bills because our of our responsibilities and if we had another choice we'd make it if we could that stuck feeling is the worst like people people really chafe at that that one particular feeling and is like just having the money in the bank to know you could quit if you wanted to quit. Is that enough to to calm some people down and get them through it? I think it provides a nice security blanket, you know, a, a nice fallback plan because so many people don't feel that way. It is out of necessity that they are working. And so having something to fall back on and, it, you know, this pursuit of financial independence that I talk about in the book is one, you know, a true one of which you have accumulated enough investments and savings to never have to work again. It's a very audacious, big goal. <laughs> I accept that. I acknowledge it off the back. But of the five journey or stages I talk about in the book, the fifth one is reaching financial independence. And the one below that is work flexibility. 
And so this option where you can choose different a different type of job or work, or you can take a break, recalibrate, and you know see what you really love to do. Maybe become an entrepreneur, which is the stage I'm in in that stage four of five stages. And that was because I had enough money to be able to walk away from my job. And so I had that security to choose something different. And so I do believe if people have that and know that that allows them to make different decisions or be more confident in how they go about and show up at their work. Do you think that most people who are pursuing that dream really want to, at the end of it, not work at all? Because like, you're probably busier now than you were at your, at your day job, you know, and most people, most people just aren't on perpetual vacation. They're doing something like, what's your day like? Like, what do you, like you must have been probably up really early. You're doing interviews, you're writing, you're doing your podcast. Like you have an episode that comes out today, right? Yeah. I, so it's funny because the work is still work, right? The the work is still working, <laughs> um, but it's different. Sometimes it doesn't feel like work. I mean, it is. I am I am doing a lot, but because it's something I actually enjoy and I don't enjoy every aspect of being an entrepreneur. But, I was going to ask you about that next. Yeah, but <laughs> like the, taxes, the, right. the, taxes, the tech support, the personnel, you know, the, I think the freedom is in the choice, like the freedom or the like the, the happiness is in the choice, even though I'm still working. So just like someone who could be paying off debt and maybe using a budget strictly. And for some people that looks like restriction and looks like a lot of toil and hard work. Whereas if you reframe it, it is taking back control. It is being disciplined. It is all these things that because you're doing it from a place that you want to do it, it feels different because I'm sure that there's someone who has my job right now that I used to do that I didn't love that actually like enjoys it. Right. It just wasn't for me. And so I think, yes, I am doing I wouldn't say more. It's the quality is different because of my effort that I put into it. It's almost like because this is my business and, you know, when I worked, I got a paycheck regardless. You know, as long as I didn't fumble too bad, you know, I still did well, but I would expect a paycheck every other week versus with uh, your own business basically eat what you kill or you it it is a matter of working to get paid and i think while i am a strong proponent of entrepreneurship and side hustles i think it's a great way to diversify your income streams just in case your main thing is not working and you want to try something different that you should leverage if you are still working in your full-time job the paycheck and the benefits and use that as your fuel or your investor to your other thing until you make a decision. So in general, yes, I am working, but sometimes the work, it feels a little seamless because it's integrated in my life. You know, before when I was working in corporate America, I kept a lot of things separate. You know, I didn't talk about like my personal life, even journey to launch. I was doing that on the side. I did not talk about that with anyone. And so things felt very segmented. Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel like I could show up as my full self at work. Whereas this is my full self and that feels better, even if it is more work or in some instances, a little bit more, there's more on the line because this is me putting myself out there. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners that we are taking questions live here. And if you have something you want to ask, uh, type it in and we will get to those very shortly, but I still have a few questions of my own. Um, but let's talk about that real quickly, um, the business aspect of being your own boss. 
you know, like tech support is a big deal. Like I work from home now, even though I work for a company and I hate that part of it. Like that, you know, I like having somebody to call if I get too far in the trouble with it, you know, if something's not working, but like when you're running your own thing completely, it's, it's hard. Yeah. You, you definitely need to, as a solopreneur, as a creative entrepreneur, especially where you're using information to build your business or sell information and products to customers or your the people, I think it is important to, to get help and to invest in your business. And so for me, in the beginning, I did everything, which included editing the podcast, doing all the social media, basically all the things. I, I worked on every aspect. I touched every part of my business. And now realizing that I still value my time. So it's never, my goal is to never lose sight of what my initial plan is, which is to reach financial independence, which means just because I quit my job, I don't want, I don't want to create new, new handcuffs for myself. You know, I actually get to create what my work life looks like. And so I don't want to make it an oppressive one where I am stressed. So if that involves me spending and investing money, especially in the beginning when I wasn't making much money, but I had money saved or you know what? This is going to cut into profit, but it's worth someone else doing this than me, right? Because I want to be able to pick my kids up. I want to be able to go for a run. I do want to experience this freedom that I quit my job for. And so for it's been a process of realizing what do I invest in? How much do I invest in this service or person who can help me do this thing so that it can free up my time where I can work on the more important parts of my business, like the content being out there, right? Uh, where I am showing my face, being able to write a book. How can I offshore some of that responsibility so I can focus on what matters? That's a really good point, because I think a lot of people try to do too much on their own, and then it starts to, to feel bad, and then they want to escape that, and then they're kind of like stuck in a loop, just they're always dissatisfied. Um, I want to talk more about you being um, an inspiration to a lot of people, and I wanted to ask you how you felt about the representation of people of color in the financial industry. In your book, you talk about um, when you're on your commute, you would listen to a lot of podcasts and the financial independence movement caught your eye. Did it matter to you who those people were and that, you know, your journey was represented or did you feel like your journey wasn't represented and you needed to, to speak to that? And now you're providing that for a, a whole uh, demographic and a whole generation. You know, it's not your typical financial planner kind of message. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, so I I started the podcast Journey to Launch in 2017. It was a blog first in 2016. But I initially discovered financial independence around 2014. And at that point, when I was listening to podcasts, there were mostly like white men talking about financial independence and they had on guests. And most of their guests, you know, were white. But honestly, so I am the kind of person that I can learn from anyone. You know, I take what I need, I leave what I don't need. And because of that, I was able to learn and distill a lot of information. And even if, you know, they had blinders on in some scenarios because they just couldn't relate or see this different point of view, I never took it as, oh, I can't listen to that. I can't learn from that. So that helped. That was very helpful because in all the couple of years that I was still having the commute and listening to the podcast and reading the blogs, I, when I did see someone or hear someone who had maybe an immigrant story or a black woman, you know, I was excited and I was like, wow, like that felt good to hear that story. 
but I still listened, you know, to all of them. And that helped then shape what I created with Journey to Launch. Because when I did start it, there weren't a lot of diverse voices on the front line in the space. I mean, I think there were people still following, just like me, the movement and having input maybe in Facebook groups and blogs and commenting, but maybe none that were so much in the forefront. And what I love now is that in 2023 and then going into 2024, there are so many voices, so many more voices. So whether you're talking about general personal finance or more the more extreme financial independence, retire early, that movement, I do believe there's a lot more representation. And the thing that warms my heart is that the same way I used to listen to certain podcasts and that was a, the starting point for me. I have so many people who will approach me and say, you know, I never knew about financial independence until you spoke about it or I heard about it, but I just love that it's coming from you. So I just love that I'm one of the voices in the space. There are others speaking from immigrant backgrounds and different cultures, different starting points, because we all have different journeys. We all have different privileges. We all have different assets, right, that we can use on our journey. And so it's great when you can have a almost buffet style of people to listen to and and have discernment, of course, of who you who you follow and what you're going to listen to. But that just, it just helps create a very well-rounded journey so that you are listening to other voices. Do you think that podcasts uh, helped with that, um, the diversification? Because there, there are fewer gatekeepers. Um, like you wrote a book, there's a lot of gatekeepers to writing a book, right? There are a lot of people who have to say yes to you and see your vision and share your vision. And you have to sort of get permission to have a big poster behind you and sell books on Amazon or your web, you know, not self-publish basically, but a podcast you can start and you don't need a whole lot of people to, to, you know, manage that process. Well, you know, I think it's, so I'm an indie podcaster, meaning I'm not yet with a big network or, um, you know, conglomerate uh, that is behind me. Like I published them myself, just like a book, like you just mentioned, I want the traditional publish route. So yes, you do, you do, you do need a lot of people to buy into that. Uh, to give you that deal and then to get the distribution behind you so that you're in airports and you have certain media attention. But I could have went indie. And even if, and, I, and if I went indie, I could have still printed this bill. Like I printed this at, you know, FedEx, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I do believe, and just like the podcast. So I, when I started the podcast, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts. So it was very helpful in starting my podcast, but I didn't really know anyone in the space. It was really uh, me starting from the bottom, building my audience by building good content and sharing my voice. And so with the book, it was almost similar. I mean, I had a definitely a bigger platform by the time I decided to write the book, which helped now in launching it into the world. But I think for so many people, they have ideas. And the great thing about the internet is that you can't just put anything out there. You can start a blog, a podcast, you can write a book yourself and put it on Amazon. You know, with that, there comes responsibility and a need for discernment because you can have a lot of people who can steer you in the wrong direction, maybe some scammers that are looking to sell you a pipe dream about how fast you can accomplish something. But I do think overall it's helpful because like you said, there is no one saying, oh, like I have to say it's okay first before you can launch this thing. It's like, no, you can launch it. You literally, that's why I loved about podcasts and blogs is that the people that you're listening to 
or that you admire, even on social media. Maybe, you know, you're in a debt-free community and you search that hashtag or the FIRE community. Most of the times, they're everyday people just sharing their story and you can reach out to them. And I think that helps just level the playing field a bit where information now can be easily shared and discerned between each other and what you follow. But that makes the concept of reaching what I talk about financial independence more doable, especially when you have different types of people pursuing it. Excellent. That is a, that is a, that's the true aspiration for that I see in all of this is that if you have something to say, there's a, there's a route to say it. And when you watch all these people out there that you can do it too. Um, It's a really good message to put out there. Um, We have some use uh, some, listener questions. So I want to jump into some of those. And if you have more questions, remember to put them in and we will we will get to them. Um, Umar wants to know about your discipline. Um, you know, part of financial freedom and part of your story is telling people how you did it, right? Um, and you and your husband were able to, while you were both working um, and you had this dream to put aside uh, a big chunk of change in order to secure you know, your options. Um, how, like, how did you stick to it? Like, what's the root of the discipline and the rules you set for yourself? Like psychologically, you know, people want to do it. You know, it's like saying like, I want to diet, I want to lose weight. And then like, but how do you actually do it? So sometimes you have to almost get to your breaking point or to your edge, whatever that uncomfortableness looks like. And for me, right, I woke up. So I've always had the dreams of never working for anyone and being free. But I kind of went along to get along in my 20s when I tried different things and didn't work. But when I got pregnant and I realized that this would most likely be my life, this commute and having kids and this time, I really felt compelled. Like I, I, like I was like, my back is against the wall. I am not going to live this life. I got fed up. And so that being so uncomfortable and not willing to stand or take and be like sleepwalking in my life anymore, like I wanted freedom. And so I would willing to do anything it took to gain that freedom. So if that meant now, okay, let me learn about financial independence and what it takes to get there. Okay, so we have to be more aggressive with investing and saving. Well, what does that look like for our family? Well, how much do we need to save and invest and how much can we with our constraints. And so it became more important to me to prioritize investing and saving so that I could one day quit my job. Um, And so I even talk about this now in the book that being so uncomfortable back then, I was definitely more aggressive with my financial goals. That's why we were able to save and invest $169,000 in two years because I was like, I'm in this community. I'm not going to stay here forever. Let's go and figure it out. Now, and that, so I was in the earlier journey or stages that I talked about a little bit earlier. Now that I'm in stage four, a little bit more comfortable, I'm not as uncomfortable, right? So my drive to be as disciplined towards my financial goals are not as, as strict. So we are still hitting our financial goals, but my financial goals aren't as aggressive. I'm still on the journey to financial independence, but you know, we're not aggressively investing and, and optimizing every dollar. So I think it depends on how uncomfortable you are. And if you are, if you do not like your situation, whether it's the job, the commute, maybe being, 
maybe feeling like you are owned by parents or someone else because you have to like follow rules that you don't want to live in the house, whatever that is for you, right? You have to be motivated and use what it's going to take to get you there as a discipline to show up and do what you have to do to get to that goal. So you have to find it within yourself. And sometimes you have to be honest with yourself, right? Like I'm honest with myself now. I'm like, well, I'm not as motivated. <laughs> like, you know, I like what I do. I, do, I still want financial independence. But if it takes me a little bit longer, I'm fine with that. And so I'm honest with myself versus if I were saying, you know what? I actually do want to be able to quit completely any job in two, five, three years. And then, then not realizing that I'm actually not doing the work to get there. So I think one is to be honest with yourself about how uncomfortable you are what you're willing to give up or do and setting a realistic expectation for what you can do. And in the book, I talk about sometimes when you're on the journey, depending on when you're starting, it may take a couple of years to build up that income, or maybe if you just had kids or just bought a house, there are certain life experiences that will impact how disciplined you can be towards some of your goals. So taking that into account and looking at the big picture, but then looking at what you can do every day, help set realistic expectations on how disciplined you can be. How much does that differ from the philosophy of having a really healthy emergency fund? Um, the, the financial freedom stage of it. Like you're, yeah. basically what you're doing is you're preparing yourself for, the, you know, I've been laid off eight times in my life um, and I've quit jobs intentionally, you know, because I didn't like them and I've gone freelance. And what staked to me during those periods was that I had a healthy emergency fund. Um, but that was in the old days because I'm, I'm pretty old. Um, and we just, we just referred to that as an emergency fund. But what this, this seems a little bit more intentional. Yeah. So, I mean, you definitely, emergency fund is necessary. And sometimes the recommendation is three to six months worth of expenses. Really, it's up to the situation and your circumstances. I talk about something called the FU fund. It's not a term that I created. It's <laughs> floating around in the financial independent space. But it is this idea that it's a bit more than what an emergency fund would be. It covers a bit more of time, a bit more of your expenses. So in my case, when I found out that I was pregnant with my third child, it definitely changed the direction and the way in which we wanted to reach financial independence. And so previously I said, okay, I was going to work until I was 40 years old and invest and save my income, got pregnant with my third child and said, nope, I can't do all of this until 50, 40. So we're going to change strategies and I'm going to quit my job. So we started to aggressively saving and invest in our savings account and high yield savings account to help supplement what would be lacking because I left my income behind or I quit my job. So the FU fund for us covered about two years in supplement of my husband's expenses. So that's key in my scenario is that I had a partner. And even though his income didn't cover all of our expenses, it covered some of it where I could then use the money we were saving to supplement that while I was not working. So an FU fund essentially is more than an emergency fund. It helps cover maybe an additional or extended time period. And I really think it's important to start thinking that way, even if it takes a while to fund that emergency fund and then that FU fund, because yes, it could take maybe five years or even 10, but you'd be better for starting because as we know, Beth, things happen unexpectedly. So at least you'll have something there when they do happen, but you'll be able to slowly pick up momentum and keep growing that account over time so that when you do really need to use it, it's there for you. 
Excellent. Um, we have a question from Leslie, who's a little bit on the older side, um, like me. Um, hi, Leslie. We're, we're the same age. Um, she wants to know when is too old to start? Um, and because we're talking, when you talk about financial independence, next comes financial freedom. When you truly do not have to work, you have enough income to sustain yourself. And basically, you know, traditional retirement, but earlier. Um, and she's, so if you're in your 50s, how aggressive would you need to be in order to expedite that process in order to um, retire fully, you know, like, you know, in a couple of years or whatnot before the traditional age that most people would want to retire? Yeah, I mean, I think being honest and realistic about the starting point is important. And so if you are in maybe your mid or late 50s, you know, are you talking about retiring in like two years and or 10? And then how much do you currently have invested and saved? And then what does your lifestyle look like once you're retired? So it is really important to take that assessment, no matter how scary it is of where am I now? Where am I with my assets? Where am I with my income? How much more working years do I have that I do want to put towards this goal? And then when I do want to be retired, what does my life look like? How much will I need? So you have this starting point of where you are, and then you have this end point where you would like to be. And then it's a matter of math. I mean, there's a lot more than just math, but <laughs> then just in this initial we'll planning stage, yeah, <laughs> you figure out, <laughs> right, you would need to figure out, okay, how much does it take, right? And so I'm not doing this to discourage anyone because the number might be like, you, you might need to do a lot, right? Invest a lot. If you say that you're, you know, in your mid fifties and you want to retire in two years, but you have nothing saved or invested, that's going to be a lot of money that you're going to need, like almost astronomical. But I think in these situations, it's important to reframe what you are viewing as early retirement or retirement, because there's so many people who, you know, I know in my family or friends that, you know, even at 70 and 80, there there's no security and they have less. And so reframing what your journey looks like and what's successful for you is important. And maybe looking at it as, well, if I don't do anything, right, if I just continue on because I think it's too late, where will I be? But if I do make some changes, you know, maybe when I did the math, I don't have $100,000 to invest a year, right? Like I maybe have 10 or 15 but what else can you do? I think it's understanding your starting point and what your life can look like by starting and how much better it looks just by starting versus not starting takes you far. And then setting up yourself for just backup plans. So what is a skill set that you have that could be helpful in earning extra money? You know, there as we get older, maybe we have mobility issues or we want to be in situations where we feel safer. It's just more convenient. So thinking ahead on what does a work situation look like that is flexible and nice or at least comfortable, because I know people who are retired and older and they miss their jobs. They want to work. You know, they want to feel useful. So what is it that you could potentially do where it is work? And it brings you a bit of security, but you feel good about yourself and contributions to the world. So no, it's never too late to start. <laughs> um, there's always options and you can always put yourself in a bit of a better place than you are now by starting. Well, that is a very good place to leave off for today. Um, if the, the, web, the podcast is uh, Journey to Launch, the book is Your Journey to Financial Freedom. 
Thank you, Jamila, for being here. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Um, please join us again on Monday. Uh, Barron's Deputy Editor Alex Ewell and Associate Editor for Technology Eric Savitz discuss the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and have a good day. Thank you.